Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. This is the Good Bottle Podcast, and I am your host, Chris Sinclair, joined by my co-host, Mr. Drew Garrison. What is up? I think that's my favorite intro that you've ever done because it, oh, it just, makes me it's, no, it just feels like it was like you've been doing it the whole time and you were very like old school radio host with it. And I was just like, was Boy, look at the confidence coming through. So yeah, maybe just do that every time that could be your stick. Outside of that, I'm also just doing, doing great. It's a great day, but it's also a sad day. It's black tot day. So we'll, we'll probably talk about that a little bit more a little bit later. We want to you know get our expert in before we start talking rum, you know, prematurely. But, and we uh, lost, but, and we lost Pee Wee Herman. We did. Really? I was I was on a conference call during that, and we do this thing where you kind of like say, "Hey, this is where I'm on a scale one to five, and this is what I got going. This is what we're working on." And uh, we went to my buddy in Southern California. He was just like, "How are you doing?" He's like, "Well, uh, Pee Wee Herman just died," and it was like I just got the alert on my phone. It was like, "Well, so that's how we all found out." But wow, what a bummer! bummer. The spleen, one of the greatest characters of all time, and he's gone. So. Uh, well, now that we've dated the episode like really significantly, let's uh, let's let's bring in our guests, which I'm, I'm very very excited. <laughs> on that about. high note, yeah, on that <laughs> high note, like let's just get let's just get it going. You know, we'll talk about all the good things, Huey, uh, here momentarily. But our guest is a professional bar consultant and content creator for Adventures with Alchemy. You might have recognized him from his days at Trader Sam's and Chanta Tiki Bar at the Disneyland Hotel. We want to bring in our favorite. Favorite tiki bartender, Christian Diaz. What's going on, buddy? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure no. to be here. Yo, That's, thanks uh, for coming. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we tried to do this when you came up to Sacramento a few weeks ago, and unfortunately, we had some things come up that uh, prevented it from happening. You were doing a pop up at the local Jungle Bird. Yeah, as part yeah, of like this, this tour that you're doing. We're real fortunate to get a chance to work with those guys every year, once a year with Tyler and his crew and they uh they always treat us uh, like rock stars man they fly us in his bar manager she's amazing she she preps everything they have everything batched and we come up with recipes together and yeah we've been doing it for the last three years it's been a lot of fun they fly us in and we get a chance to go eat at the tank house which is an amazing barbecue location uh owned by the same owner as jungle bird their barbecue is outstanding just outstanding. if you've never if you've never been to tank house you got to go check that place out but yeah, so every time we go, we get a chance to see a lot of Ohana from both the Bay Area and Central California that we normally don't get to see as much. Yeah, we just had a blast, man. A lot of people came, a lot of alcohol was served, and then we had a chance to go out and, <laughs> and mingle and, and have drinks ourselves with everybody. So that's awesome. And you know, so for our listeners at home who maybe aren't as much into the tiki scene or you know, just learning about you for the first time, I mean, why would someone fly you up to make drinks? How did you get to this point? <laughs> You know, I ask myself that question too sometimes. I don't think it's necessarily me. I don't like to think about it as me uh, necessarily. I just think about it as skippers from Trader Sam's. Trader Sam's, if you're not aware, is a tiki bar, of course. It's also a Disney bar at the Disneyland Hotel. And Trader Sam's opened right around the time that tiki started to come back. And so because uh, the bar program at Trader Sam's was developed to be very much a Disney-fied rendition of old school tiki, best way I can put it, it worked out really, really well. 
we were able to spread the good word of Tiki to the masses. When you have a place like Disneyland that's constantly feeding you guests, you get a great chance to introduce people into something that they've never seen or heard before. That helped. And of course, the resurgence of, uh, of Tiki all over was also a big part of it. Sam's has a really solid name in the Tiki community. It's a place where a lot of people learned about Tiki where they didn't know anything about it, including myself. You know, after 11, almost 12 years working there, uh, I made a lot of friends. Uh, a lot of my, my personal Ohana has grown exponentially. But I see it all as Ohana of Trader Sam's. I see us all as one. The thing is, to, to make, I guess, a long story short, is that because the Tiki community is large, but it is still t somewhat small, we're all very close-knit. Bars like to learn from each other. And this this also happens in other types of bars too, but we like to team up because number one, both names are solid and we'll bring uh, regulars from both sides. The other thing is it'll give us a chance to give people an experience that may not be what they normally get to have, you know, because of the team up. I mean, we bring a little bit of that Disney Trader Sam's vibe over to Jungle Bird, have some of that Jungle Bird vibe mix in. And it's something special that doesn't happen all the time. So what will happen is, a bar, usually it's a tiki bar, we'll, we'll get in contact with them or they'll get in contact with us and we'll plan something, we'll get a sponsor and that sponsor will take care of things like our room, our flight, things of that nature. Everybody makes money, everybody has fun. The bartenders, we get a chance to learn from other bartenders and other teams. We get a chance to collaborate and network and it's a lot of fun. It's kind of uh, the thing that's been happening over the last 10, 15 years. You're seeing more and more bartenders that are represent a big name or they themselves are a brand. And so they bring people with them wherever they go. For example, we did um, the undertow in Arizona. And again, we were able to give people in Arizona a little taste of what we do at Trader Sam's for all those people that love Trader Sam's that live in that area. So it was, it's a fun experience and it's, we've been blessed to, and uh, to, uh, and very grateful been able to do that. You know, you're talking about how Trader Sam's like introduced you to Tiki and stuff like that, but what were, were were some of the early things that you really latched onto? Because I feel like every time I talk to a tiki person, there's like seven or eight different avenues that they came into, yeah. just like the overall umbrella of tiki. Or it was the, well, first it was the cocktails. It was that that was number one. When I first stepped into Trader Sands, uh, it was a brand new bar. They only been maybe a year old. They had just turned a year. My background was in other types of bartending. I didn't know anything about tiki. The first thing initially was the drinks because the drinks had multiple ingredients. They had they were very complex. They had a history behind them. That right away caught my attention. The other thing was like what I just said was the history behind it. I love history. I love history. And I firmly believe that the cocktail culture of our country affected a lot of different subcultures within our, our history. And I think that uh, it's fascinating if you look into it and you see kind of like how speakeasies affected other cultures like music and things like that. Fascinating. Tiki was no different. So I, I love the fact that it is very enthralled in history, why the drinks are the way they are, or why it's rum. And there's just a lot of things that are very, very fascinating. And then you get into things like the art and the mugs and the rum and all that stuff. But number one for me is the cocktails and the history, you know, the complexity of the cocktails, because cocktails themselves are art and the history of all of it. Where does this all come from? You know, is there somebody that you look at now as like, I mean, obviously there's a lot of everything's going to be around like Vic. Bergeron and and that's where like a lot of emphasis will go but like there are other people that you kind of look up to that you're like oh you know really infusing some of that history into it as well well Don the Beachcomber is number one the godfather Victor Bergeron like you said those two right there off the top are the two daddies you know those are the ones where I draw uh, anytime you talk about originality you want to look at those two guys but then you you start to look at other cocktails that are really popular in the tiki world 
like the Lapu Lapu, for example, um, that wasn't a Dawn drink or a Vic drink. That was a drink from the Luau, which was a, a bar in LA in the, in the 30s, another uh, tiki bar. You, you start to look into that bar and look into its history and look into what kind of things they did there. And every drink has a story uh, and every mug usually has a story to go with it, too. And the cool thing is that now we live in a world where we can document those things. We can actually find out what's true, what isn't true. Beach Bum Barry, um, Jeff, uh, the Beach Bum Barry, he's probably the, the living idol that I have. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's the tiki uh, Indiana Jones and a uh, big dog of the tiki world now. You know, he owns Latitude 29, which is in New Orleans, um, but he's also the main guy responsible for finding out the original recipes for a lot of this stuff and why and the hows and all that. So he spent a lot of his life, Indiana Jones style, tracking things down, finding the families of some of these bartenders that were alive during that time, getting their notepads and trying to decode them and figure out what was what. And he was the one that wrote the first books uh, that we have currently about the basics and the foundation of, uh, of Tiki. Now, when you get into things of, of art, design, and all that, those are all other heroes that I'm not too familiar with because I'm more in the in the cocktail part of it. <laughs> I mean, again, it's just like there's so many different ways that people come into it, you know, whether it's the clothing right. or the drinks or just the rums themselves. And, That's right. and they kind of weave they kind of weave in and out, which is always been interesting to me. You know, you're mentioning working at Trader Sam's, which is getting this huge influx of, of people just all the time. Right. All the time. Anytime I've ever been to Disneyland, I always make my way down there and it is always an adventure whether or not you're going to be able to get in at least or, or whatever. One of the things that I was curious about in wanting to talk to you, getting more into like just the fandom of both. Like you have two very hardcore fan groups that are colliding in this one area because on one side you have all your Tiki files and then on the other side you have all of your Disney nerds, Disney. right? Yeah. They're like very, very intense. And obviously Trader Sam's does a beautiful job of infusing those two things together. What is it like to be in that environment when they're just so charged by fandom? And then do you have like a weird fan obsessed story that you'd be willing to share? Kind of like this person was wearing <laughs> XYZ. Well, you know, the stories I'm saving for the book, but no, I, I, I'm kidding. Yeah, I, I could... I can talk to you. We can make a whole separate episode on that kind of stuff, man. Uh, but yeah, no, there's that you're right. It is two very, very, very passionate cultures that that also have a lot of history. And the cool thing is, is that they're very easily infusible. Walt himself was a tiki guy. He was around during the time that tiki was at its first golden age. And it's for when it first started happening, when old Hollywood was going to Don, the original Don the Beachcombers and the original Trader Vicks. That's why we have the Enchanted Tiki Room at Disneyland, because that was Walt's vibe, man. He liked to drink. He liked to hang out with, you know, he was a social person. I mean, God, I think he got all those investors and people to believe in him. He was a part of old Hollywood. I guarantee you he could find him at a Don the Beachcombers at some point in, in his off time. So it's no surprise that the two mingle so well. You have the Enchanted Tiki Room, which has been inside of Disneyland since the beginning, and people associate that directly with Walt. And they should, because one of the few things that Walt touched before he was gone, that's still there. So right off the bat, you have that connection, whether you know about the subculture or not, whether you know about the, the cocktails or not. If you're a Disney person, you already have a small, tiny connection with Tiki just because of the Enchanted Tiki Room and any sort of background or history or story that comes with it. Things like the Adventures Club, which was a um, a bar that was in, in Florida for many years, that was a the first kind of 
performance, uh, magical type bar with special effects and jokes and bartenders that were a little bit more risque, a little bit more, uh, you know, more bartenderish, but it was still Disney. And so that was kind of like, the, so the combination of the two go very, very well. People who love Tiki usually love Disney and people who love Disney usually love Tiki. If they don't, they fall in love with Tiki very, very, very fast. Not everybody drinks alcohol, but there's still a lot of good food involved. There's still the collector's mugs. There's all kinds of stuff that you could be a big fan of. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a cocktail. Was there any additional pressure that you feel like came on outside of just like a normal bartending shift? Or I mean, I'm just thinking like you have people literally traveling from around the world to come to this park and you are adjacent, very much so associated with this park as well. So all those expectations fall on you as well. I mean, as you put it, like it's kind of a performance as well. It is a performance. Um, and in addition to being very talented and making drinks. So like, what did you feel extra pressure to be like someone just put all this money away to get here and I got to do this or am I putting, am I reading too much into this? For me personally, I, I love people. Simple as that. I never looked at it as a performance. I looked at it as just me having fun. I think the original idea was it it was to be kind of like a performance thing. I think the original idea was it was this script. And you had to follow some jokes and there was things to say. You have a whole bunch of uh, sarcastic people working together. This is never going to happen. So these the bartenders themselves changed that organically throughout the years have been able to just kind of be themselves without crossing any lines, walking that fine line. And Disney has also been very good about giving Trader Sam's the freedom that it needs to be a real tiki bar and a Disney bar. They definitely know how to walk the line. They definitely know how to balance the two very, very well. Some people might be a little bit more work than others. If you're an extrovert and you love people and you love what you do, it's, it's not so not so bad. If you're somebody that you don't feel very comfortable doing that, there are other parts of the bar that you can work in that you're just going to be pumping out hundreds of drinks and you're not really going to be in the spotlight so much so there's something for everyone to kind of answer your question from earlier is kind of what's it like trying to balance the two worlds that's exactly the way you do it is through telling the stories through the cocktails through doing things that connect storylines from one place to another you know whether you're the person in the spotlight doing the shows or whether you're the person in the in the pool bar creating some spectacular drink that goes viral and i'm sure if you don't know by now there's been a few that have come out that have just gone absolutely viral and that's a lot of fun i think that's great it's a very robust cocktail list and it's you know there's there's lots of really fun options on there but when people would come in and be like what's what's your favorite what's the thing that you want what was your go-to for the listeners out there Go-to for me is always I'm going to find out what, what they like first. I always ask a few questions. Everybody's different. And the selection of flavor profiles that you can go through, especially at Trader Sam's where they have a bajillion different things, you want to dwindle it down a little bit. And I've had people just say, you know what, I don't care. Just go ahead and make me whatever. Just I don't care. And then other people, I'm like, you know, I'll, but I'll always ask, hey, what are you in the mood for? You know, something sweet, sour, bitter, fruity. What is your palate telling? You want something more more uh, straightforward? You want like a classic cocktail? Give me Give me one or two words and I'll figure it out from there. And that's usually all it takes. Most people say something not too sweet. And I hate when people say that because if you're <laughs> trusting me to make you a cocktail, then you obviously are trusting me to make you something that's balanced and is not going to be too sweet or sour. But okay, you're right, whatever. Yeah, I get that. Not too sweet. You want something balanced, obviously. But yeah, I love it. Trader Sam's has a, a very extensive secret menu on top of the menu that you see in front of you. They have all, you know the classic stuff. They can do all that. They can do things that they make up themselves. There's bartenders like me who've been there forever. We make up our own things as well. So 
yeah, they'll say, Christian, make me something with whiskey, you know, or Christian, make me something with rum that's not, that's uh, bitter, or, you know, or Christian, make me something, you know, make me something that's sweet and herbaceous, you know, and, and you just go from there. You just go from there. When it comes to developing those relationships in the bar and stuff like that, because, you know, every bar eventually established some form of regular, but you also have this insane click. Again, people traveling from all over the world coming into that bar for some, maybe some of our younger bartenders. And and I know there's a lot of emphasis on the quote unquote Disney magic and really, you know, setting the scene for people. But what are the things that you would do as a bartender to really like make people feel welcome and make them feel a part of it, that you're excited that they're there? I'm sincerely am excited that they're there. <laughs> the truth is, is, is it, I am like you feed off that vibe when somebody walks in, when the show, what we say, when the show starts, when, when, when the curtains come up and the show begins, it's very easy to put yourself in their shoes. You see the excitement in their eyes. You feel the vibe coming off of them when they come in to sit down. You may be tired and you may be beat up or whatever the case may be from work. But the minute that you start feeding off of their energy, that goes away. Once you get into rhythm of making cocktails and you get into conversation and you see that everybody's there for a good reason, everybody's there for fun, and you're, you, you start to feed off of that. Now, there's also the element of, like you said, somebody from another country or something who, who's never been to anything like this. And that's even more exciting for us because we get a chance to really – give them an experience that we know is going to be something different for them. So we'll try to seat them in one of the special chairs that goes up and down. You know, we'll make sure that there's extra special water falling on them when effects go off. We think the same way as any other cast member in the Disneyland Resort. We want to make sure that when somebody comes in, it doesn't matter who it is, they get that wow factor, that they understand that where they are is special and that they are special. It's not hard to do that when you're given the tools that they give you. It's not hard to do that when you sincerely enjoy doing it. And if that doesn't do it for you, it's very, you can remind yourself. I mean, like you just said, when, as you're driving into work and you go through those signs and you see the Disneyland sign, everything it's it, it, that right there kind of tells you somebody today paid a lot of money or has been working a long time or has been planning for 10 years to come today, today. So you have to keep that in mind in the back of your head. If you do that, you'll be fine. Everybody that I work with at Sam's, that's never been an issue. You just, the big thing is never, you never know who's going to sit down in front of you. You just never know. It could be, it could be Joe Schmo from Wisconsin and his family who has been planning this for 10 years. It could be some celebrity from Hollywood who works for SNL. Like you just, you just don't know. And yes, both have happened. You get a little bit of everybody. And so you have to be consistent in your service, your, your thought process, and, and just let the show start. And when the show ends is when the show ends. And then go back to feeling however you want to feel. But when the show is on, you know, you turn it on, man. And, and, and it's, it's not hard to turn on in a place like that. I got to ask, what's a regular clientele look like? What's Sam's? a regular I mean, clientele at Trader Sam's? Because, uh, yeah, so, like, because, I mean, you know, like I own, an, I own a neighborhood bar, right? My neighborhood is my regular base, but. You are not a neighborhood bar. You are attached to a hotel as a, also a part of one of the most world-renowned resorts. So our weekly regulars, which we do have regular, I have uh, regulars that come. I don't say I, let me say we, it's always we. Sam's has regulars that come in at least once or twice a week, every single week. I could even tell you their names, but I'm not going to. They come in, they sit in the same spot, they have the same reservation, and they follow a routine and they do it. They're usually... Nine out of 10 times are uh, annual pass holders that go to Disneyland all the time. It's just part of their routine. Uh, usually those people are retired and so they don't really have anything else to do. So they just get a part, they become a part of the Disney culture. They go to all the events, they go to all the special things, they, they get involved in all of it, you know, and that's what they do. 
And believe it or not, there's a lot of people like that, which is not a bad idea. I mean, if you have money and you're retired and you love Disney, hell, why not? Then you have cast members or other people in the industry who work in the nearby area. It's either before or after work, they're hanging out. All the bartenders in the resort, we all know each other. We're all friends. We all get along. We all drink together. So it's a community in itself. And then the other one are Tiki. We get a lot of Tiki regulars too. I mean, Tiki is Southern California. It was born in Southern California. So the heaviest concentration of Tiki heads is right here in Southern California. So Anaheim has its own Tiki community. So they're either at Strongwater or at Trader Sam's. The L.A. Tiki community, and they're usually at Tiki Tees or they're at uh, Tonga. This is like a regular thing for these communities. They, they, they go once, twice a week, you know, Thursdays and Tuesdays. And then on the weekends, it's more influx of your tourists. I have uh, regulars that come once a month. I have regulars that come once a year. You know, like the same family that comes on vacation once a year or the same conference that comes once a year. And you start making friends with those people over the years. And so, you know, they're like, hey, Blizzard's here this weekend. Oh, hey, we'll hang out with Josh and Steve and da 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 because, you know, we all, we're all buddies now. To me, a regular is just somebody, I, I know your name, I know your face, I see you on a consistent basis. At Sam's, there's a lot of people like that. And the longer you're there, the longer you get to know all those faces, and they all start to just become like your family, you know? So, like, I'm going to Tiki Oasis this week. Like, I didn't even want to go, but family from, you know, the Tiki community was just, no, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. So, all right, I'm going. So, you know, so it's 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 awesome. Bro. It's a very, very special connection. I, I love the thought of Trader Sam's being an industry hang. Like that just makes me the most jealous I've ever been in my life. That's just absolutely ridiculous. But at the same time, I love it. So there's obviously a lot of passion that you had for that gig. And there had to be something that prompted that. So did you grow up just like a Disney fanatic? And if so, top three Disney movies? Well, I, I grew up loving Disney just Probably like anybody else. I love it. Okay, let's see. Top three off the top. My mom used to take me to Disneyland a lot, by the way, as a kid. So they had that special connection of, you know, me and my mom going to Disneyland. So, yeah. of course. Uh, number one would be Sword in the Stone. Uh, number yeah. two would have to be Aladdin. And number three, uh, ugh, I'm going to say Princess and the Frog. Princess and the Frog. I, it, it was really hard to beat out Lion King, but I didn't want to keep everything in the 90s either. A little known fact, uh, people don't know this, but Drew and I know this, is that our owl on our logo for our podcast, his name is Alchemides. I created a drink called Mim's Punch. It was a play on Pim's yeah. Punch. Right. And uh, I had one person that realized that. What, who it was Madam, Madam Mim. Yeah. That's great. It's funny because I just played, or I'm still playing, Dreamlight Valley on my PS5. Nice. And it's very, very driven by the wizard. And so it's kind of like, you know, you can't sit there and, and do that. And be like, okay, well, now I got to go watch this freaking movie now. You know what? I'm and sorry. I'm going to change. I'm going to swap out Princess on the Frog and throw in Ratatouille there. Oh, uh, okay. That's, that's my soul choice. character. Remy's, Remy is literally my soul character. So I, I can't leave that out. I just forgot for a split second. I'm like, wait a minute. How am I going to leave Ratatouille out of the top three? So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Ratatouille by far. Even on my name tag, especially. I don't know if you've been to Disneyland this year, but they're celebrating their 100th anniversary. So all the cast members have their name, and then on the bottom it says who their soul character is, who's their favorite character. Is. Yeah, uh, yeah, mine yeah. was Remy. I don't know. It's always That's been awesome. Remy. I'm a Remy That's guy. Awesome. <laughs> well, I'm I'm going in a couple of weeks, so I'll, I'll definitely check that out and and look for that. Nice. And it's funny because two out of three are my same two out of three for my top three. So the only change I have is instead of Aladdin, I would do Hercules. So nice. You know, yeah. I, I could have thrown in Emperor's New Groove in there too, but oh, you know, yeah. I'd say maybe top five. Uh, Emperor's yeah. New Groove is awesome. Growing up, going to the park with your mom and then 
how do you find this opportunity where you're going to be like, I'm going to go work at this bar? How did, so how did that it actually happen just- by accident? It, it totally happened by accident. I, I was on vacation when I, so I'm originally from Fresno and my wife is originally from Merced. Uh, when we were dating, just one day we we're like, hey, let's go to Disneyland, you know? We went to Disneyland on vacation, and while we were there, we met up with one of our family members who at the time worked at the park. And we hung out with them and fell in love with the idea. I was like, that sounds like a good idea. You know, you look at Disneyland, it's never never not busy and really want to get out of Fresno, and it just seemed like a good idea. So we talked about it. Eventually, ended up going to culinary school in Southern California. While I was there, I was recruited by Disney to cook. And when I finished my internship in Florida, I came home with the intention to cook. I was knocking at the door at the Disneyland Resort asking to cook at uh, Napa Rose. But I wanted to be like a cook one. I wanted to be like on the line. I didn't want to just be some prep cook. And they were just like, yeah, you have like seven years of bartending and you have like three years of cooking. Uh, why don't we try bartending? They sent me to to Trader Sam's to interview. And again, at the time, Trader Sam's was hadn't even turned a year yet. I was like, I interviewed. They gave me the job. And I was actually hesitant. Like I, I went to have a drink there with my wife and I'm looking around and I see all these different things and these colorful drinks. And I'm just like, I, I, I don't know. Like this seems very quiche, very niche and kind of very, um, what did I say? It was like, uh, it was very much like the, I thought it was like the, the Rainforest Cafe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah or the Tiki yeah. Room at Disneyland. And then when I met Kelly, Kelly Mara, who's the head bartender there, he explained to me, you know, what the plan was, what the vision was, what the bar program was going to be like. And I, that was all I needed. From there, I was on. <laughs> you know, with the chef training, how much does that inform your bartending? Oh, big time. You know, today in today's world, in today's bartending world, if you really want to excel and you really want to get to like having your own bar or being the head bartender or being the dude, the man, you have to have a culinary background now. It's there's just no way around it. We don't live in the days anymore where a fancy rum and coke is going to get you by. You know, you're going to need to be able to make your own cola on the spot. You're going to have to be able to make your own tonic water on the spot. And those are basic things. Those aren't things that are considered culinary minded are now very much a part of, of the bar. And I've always believed the bar is a part of the kitchen. But you, things like smoking your ingredients or smoking your glass or using molecular gastronomy in order to restructure a cocktail in a certain way. There's just a lot of techniques and there's a lot of introduction to ingredients that can be used in the bar, but you'll never know about them if you never get a chance to study those things. It's very important that if you really want to be something special in the bar world these days that you have a culinary background. It doesn't mean you have to be a chef, but you got to do some time in the kitchen. So one of the other things that you do, you know, is the Adventures with Alchemy. And so it was, you know, a project that you had started during COVID. I know things have been crazy busy lately, so we're, we're waiting on that next video. What was the motivation behind it? And then what do you hope to convey, like, when you put that content out there? Great questions, by the way. The reason behind it was I just wanted something to do with my wife, honestly. I, oh, uh, I, and I know she's is she in the room. Just blink yeah, twice if she's in the room. But sincerely, like she's awesome. I love hanging out with her and I love doing things with her. And at that time, we were very much shut in the house. And it was very much one of those times where marriages get tested. It was just something that I kind of just played around with. I was like, hey, none of my friends are doing this. Thought about doing it. So I was asking my wife, what do you think? Maybe can we? So it was never really me. It was me and my wife. So she deserves just as much, if not more credit than myself. Um, We got together. I would do what I do. And then she actually took time to learn Premiere Pro on her own so she can edit. And yeah, since then, 
Um, it's just been kind of our little baby that we've uh, worked on together. Obviously, things have slowed down a little bit because the world came back to normal. But that's why I started the TikTok to do smaller content, quicker content. But yeah, we're getting back into doing longer videos and uh, things of, of that nature. But the reason I we did that was at the moment was to bring, I guess, a taste of Trader Sam's or a taste of cocktails and stuff to people that were at home, you know, that were at home and, and they were bored. Uh, the other reason behind it, see what happens when I start drinking, <laughs> was to bridge. I wanted to, I want to bridge the, the mindset of, of culinary and the bar. Like I want those things to be synonymous one with the other. I, I, I'm tired of the idea that the kitchen and the bar are two separate things. And Adventures with Alchemy is kind of a way of bringing the two together. As you can see, like, for example, in the St. Patrick's episode, uh, I show people how to do a whiskey cake, Irish whiskey cake, that is alcoholic. Like, it does have booze, but it is also a pastry. So now that you're learning how to cook and you're learning how to do something with, with alcohol, two belong together. It's, uh, it's pretty much a, a bridging thing. Now, you have moved on from Trader Sam's and you kind of have the whole world in front of you. What's on the horizon? Are we going to we're going to see more of that ramped up show come back and then... What are the other things definitely. that you have they have coming up? So Adventures with Alchemy is definitely something that I'm back into now, uh, working new content, trying to pick my wife's brain in order to learn how to edit a little bit better because she's way better at it than I am. Things of that nature. And working on what I call Project X, which is not just me, but it's a few other skippers from Sam's or retired skippers from Sam's. Uh, we are currently working on our own distillery project, distillery and brewery. Um, we've already raised all the money that we needed. We're just negotiating oh. for a location right now. So that's in the works. Is that um, public knowledge? Oh, or are we breaking news right now? No, it's it's public knowledge. It's just we don't Never mind. Have it's, any, breaking uh, yep, it's breaking news. Yep, it's breaking news. Yeah, breaking news. Breaking news. Yeah. We call it Project X. But yeah, that should be coming soon. If if the gods are with us, then I would say within the next six months to eight months, we should be we should be getting going. The other thing is, uh, you know, doing consulting here and there. I am probably going to pick up some work with another tea bar very soon, just because it's like. It's like when you play a sport, you know, you walk away and then uh, you miss playing the game. So right now I'm uh, after Oasis is done. We'll see where I end up. But uh, I am going to be sitting down with a couple tiki bars and seeing if I could pick up just a little bit of work to uh, keep me busy. Just not to a point where like I'm destroying my body. <laughs> I'm, yeah. trying to, I'm trying to save that for the distillery project. <laughs> so, so two questions. Project X, mm. is Elon Musk involved? No. Okay, no, just, he is not. You know, the I X wish. thing. You sh you just gotta you gotta be careful with the X thing. I mean, he's just right, right, right. That's not the official now. name of the thing. That's just the uh, <laughs> you know, like code code blue, but the, the it's actually you know Zelda. You know, like yeah. who knows? You know, it's just a different, <laughs> just a code name. Uh, and then, yeah, it's it's gonna be fun. And then the, the other the other thing. So you know, you kind of joked about it earlier, but I, I feel like there could be something there. Like, do you ever foresee yourself writing a book that kind of talks about the tiki stuff, talks about infusing drinks and food together? Like, do you see that happening for you? Totally. No, if I had the opportunity to write a book, I totally would. I I would obviously get an editor, but <laughs> I definitely would write a book. Uh, I can see myself. I got a couple ideas for books. One of my fellow skippers, uh, Skipper Roy, who's the guy who went, who went with me to uh, Sacramento. He's also has the same idea for a similar book. So I'm going to team up with him and we're going to do like the kitchen confidential equivalent to the bar. If you ever, if you know who Anthony Bourdain is, he's one of my biggest heroes. I've heard of um, him. Roy is as well. And so he wrote a book called Kitchen Confidential, which was, it was just an amazing book because it wasn't just about the restaurant industry. It was like the restaurant industry through the eyes of a chef. 
So he's talking about like how when when he was a dishwasher, he watched the chef like take a bride from who just got married, take her into the back and have sex with her in her whites, you know, like and that was the reality of their world. You know what I mean? Like then send her back into the party and like nothing ever happened. Like he's like, it was that moment when I realized I want to be a chef, you know, like it it, it was uh, it's like the rock star world, the crazy world, all the dark side stuff of the restaurant industry that people didn't know about and Bourdain put it out there, but he put it out there in such a way that was just so organic and amazing that he just became a rock star. So we've seen some things. I won't say what company we've seen them with because I've worked with a lot of places, but I'm sure you can guess some things that I uh, never thought I would see. And they definitely belong. Those stories definitely belong out there at some point. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> you know. definitely, definitely for that. And I think before we move on to the top stories, cause I'll probably get killed if I don't ask this question, what's your favorite tiki mug in your collection? Wow, man, what's my favorite tiki mug in my collection? That is, that is hard. What if, okay, what if we narrow it down and we said like, obviously Trader Sam's has done lots of unique releases over, you know, your tenure. What was your favorite Trader Sam's release? The first one. The very Probably the first hardest one. one to get, right? At this Probably. point. Probably. Yeah, I have the very first. I have the very first uh, uh, shipwreck mug that ever came out. So yeah, that's probably my favorite because it's the very first one. It's the one that got me into tiki mugs. My current favorite one is probably uh, the the new Wall Club Thirty Three mug that just came out. I have it, but I don't have it. I got to go pick it up here at Oasis. I'm looking forward to that. Um, and then the Club Thirty Three Haunted Mansion mugs. Those are really really cool. <laughs> I feel like that's like one of those things that just is is what eventually broke me from the habit when I just was like, I was like, I'm not putting drinks in any of these. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> I have a tiki mug that cost me $200, dude. Like I'll never put a drink in that thing. Like it came from Tiki Pop, which is this, this artist in Hawaii. And you know, he's like that one artist in a tiki hut in Hawaii that you have to go over there to get it. And his stuff is amazing, all hand handmade and, and ridiculously expensive. Cause these are the ones I'm talking about from 33 from. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. These guys are really cool. And like if you put a, a black light on right here, it says 33. And and those were the portraits from the Haunted Mansion, right? The ones that follow right. you right. as the you bus. walk by. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just, just so people yeah. don't big feel fan left of out of this non-visual. But now I think it's time for our opinions on facts we've heard from reputable sources. Let's do it. Christian, as you pointed out earlier, a rum and Coke is just not going to get the people going. But what about Pepsi and Coke? According to Pepsi, 53% of the people that they polled actually prefer a Pepsi and rum versus a rum and Coke. We <laughs> have uh, product placement from Christian Hip with his Pepsi. I'm one of those people that I do believe that a properly made Captain and Coke is a good drink for the right occasion. But a Pepsi and Coke? I mean, Pepsi's not making pep moves here. Not a Pepsi there's, and Coke. There's, it's like a vodka all... and vodka. Tito's and vodka. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's too much. So so in looking at this and seeing this rebranding that Pepsi's trying to do and position themselves into one of the more popular cocktails out there, what do you think, Christian? I mean, this is this a good advertising campaign? They also had some imagery on there too, where it's like the the Captain Morgan is turning blue instead of the his classic red. Well, I'm going to tell you right now what I think of this because I'm not, this is the first, you know, when I read the article, it piqued my curiosity. I love Pepsi, but I've never had a Pepsi with rum, a spice drum or anything like that. I, I figured I'd wait to find out while we're talking right now. So I'll tell you right now. Let's oh, drum roll, please. I like it better with Coke. <laughs> <laughs> no. All um, right. There we go. Debate over. I, I, this I is think a failed ad campaign. 
maybe use a vanilla rum. I don't know. Here's the thing. The article said that it was a um, survey done, but by like, like their own people saying that they preferred Pepsi over Coke and the rum. So they also left white rum out of the study, which is what is used in a Cuba Libre. So I don't know, man. I think it's interesting. <laughs> I think it's cute that Pepsi wants to do something to attract attention to themselves. I think they're not going to win that battle. But hey, you know, any attention is better than no attention, I guess. I don't know. When it comes to these cocktails and things like that, and you know, you see these like substitutes that happen. I always think about it when I think when I see like a painkiller and someone's mm. using something other than pussers. And right. I'm like, that is not a painkiller. Go fuck yourself. When you see that, when you the notion of Pepsi and Coke, I mean, are you just kind of like, get out of here? Or does it not make a difference? It makes a like difference. It's a huge difference. I don't know. Like, I love soda. <laughs> uh, uh, Pepsi is my favorite. So here's the thing. My family's from South America. They're from Chile. So growing up, I've had the opportunity to travel back and forth quite a bit. And I'll tell you this. Anything south of the border, Coke is better. I don't know why. It just tastes better. I can't explain it. But in South America, in Mexico, all of those places, Coke tastes better than Pepsi. Weird. But here in the United States, Pepsi tastes better than Coke. That's just my opinion. I know maybe people will disagree with me. You can blindfold me and put both of them in front of me. I'll tell you right away which one's Pepsi, which one is Coke. And Coke is better for a Captain and Coke. Um, it just is. It's got those vanilla notes that kind of go well with the Coke. Coke is kind of bland, so it's kind of easier, more more versatile to work with something like rum. Whereas Pepsi has more of a has some kind of more of a sweetness to it. So when you add rum to Pepsi, it's just too much, too much sweetness. Just my opinion. If you're going to do a comparison, then do white rum with both and then tell me which one's better because that's more of a of a versatile rum to be blending with flavors like Coca-Cola or Pepsi. I think it makes a huge difference. Huge difference. Yeah. Chris, what about for you? And I think I might have to go like Chris Sinclair and because with, <laughs> with Chris here, which, you know, so sorry if I confuse you, if I confuse you guys at any point. Sinclair, working off of that, substituting well-known like products for your own. What do you think? What, what's your response to something like this? I think in a bar you wouldn't know or care. The amount of bars that don't use Coke products is plenty. And you still order a rum and Coke and you get rum and cola, right? Because nobody orders it, rum and cola. They order rum and Jungle cola. Bird does RC it's, cola. It's delicious. Yeah. Yo, RC yeah. draft is legit. It's I'm Dude, up so on good. that. that is, that's point A. Also, Point B is, uh, what took them so fucking long? Yeah. It's been, <laughs> Rum and Coke's been around for like a hundred fucking years. Like someone just woke up one day. I was like, you know what really bugs me? All no. that money, study, and marketing, and this is what you come up with? They're, just take, they're, they're taking their shot at the king. That's what they're doing. They finally got to call. Right, like, yeah. Someone in their, in their like marketing department has been like hammering this home for the last like 20 years and he's about <laughs> to retire. And then he was like, please just let me try. <laughs> let me try They're like all right now, todd before if, you're before you're gone you can, you can give it a run if, if you want to impress folks if i was pepsi i would bring out the crystal clear pepsi again and oh, market that with, with white rum that would now crush. you're talking about something unique something different now you have a crystal clear drink that's a rum and coke and you've never seen a clear rum and coke before so why not yeah. do something why not mark 1, it off thousand percent market off the fact that people like cool visuals and something different and thinking out of the box. It's like, I would try it a million times over if they did it that way versus saying, Oh, try cl classic Pepsi with, with Captain Morgan. No, 
<laughs> with Coke is fine. And, and if I were to put them side to side, like you said, most of the time if you're going to a bar, you're going to a bar to get drunk and you're having rum and Cokes just to get there. You don't give a shit. It doesn't matter. Uh, you don't care. You don't care. But if you're one of those people and you're going to, uh, uh, if you're somebody that's wanting to enjoy your cocktail, one, you're probably not ordering a rum and Coke. But two, if you are, Man, I don't know. I say just drink it with Coke, <laughs> with cola. I mean, I guess if you really want to take it a step further, you can make cola right there in the bar. Like you can, you can make your own cola. Take some cola, extra, you know, the, the the syrup. You have your own carbonation. You have your own device. You make your own thing, and then you have your own cola. I guess. But then now you're going into uh, pretentiousness. You know, some people might find that extremely pretentious. So you win some, you lose some, or you lose them both. I yeah. would say on your point of bringing back Crystal Clear Pepsi. Just look at how well Zima did when it hit when it hit the market for the first time after being yeah. after a decade, yeah, but right? that yeah. was but that was a limited drop that was stated it was going to be limited before. They can limit the crystal clear Pepsi, but then you got people back on Pepsi, right? Like you made you made your point, you made your money, like the marketing worked, like let's go, like you got the hook, you got the hook. <laughs> But didn't they, they can even market it as like their own cocktail, like Pepsi, Crystal Clear Pepsi with white rum? We're doing the yeah, and then they, could, they could like bring in the whole like molecular thing and listen, totally. They could, and make, fun of, they could make fun of mixologists and just be like, mm-hmm. I, I totally. don't know if you guys, I don't know if you guys understand the waters that you're wading in, but you're trying to bring white back. It's just, <laughs> it's just really, you guys got to be careful. Make it nobody, white. No, oh, yeah, man. yeah. You gotta like we oh, want this man. white on white. It's like whoa, whoa. I gotta get out of this conversation, you guys. There's just way too much enthusiasm for him. I mean, oh, both man. of you have shaved heads. I don't know what's happening right now. Yeah, yeah. So don't maybe maybe we chill out on yeah. on on bringing clear. back we'll the white. Maybe not the word white. Clear, yeah. clear. Spirit. That's like Larry Bird. Right, we Larry can, Bird we can add a white. dash of blue curse out clear. and fix everything. <laughs> There you go. What about other deals? So like I, I mentioned the painkiller, and that's probably the more infamous example of it at this point. Did but, you know Puzzers owns the rights to that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's why they like sue so many people. It's oh, yeah. insane. Yeah, they closed what down are, they I mean they closed down painkiller in New York City. I mean they, they destroyed <laughs> that them. was a stupid thing to do. For them to name their bar that. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Are there any other drinks that you can think of where you're just kind of like it's like man i hate when they like people think it's the same but it's not sinclair let's start with you is there a drink that someone tries to swap things out that you're like this doesn't work stop doing it oh a champagne cocktail when you don't use champagne so instead like using like prosecco or something like that yeah or yeah or like fucking chandon or whatever american sparkling it's not the same man i mean that's like a real basic fruity version but yeah, that doesn't work. Right. Christian, how about for you? I'm going to say uh, use it, making a dark and stormy without using dark toxins. rum. <laughs> oh, uh, oh. You know, got, you, well, not all dark rums are the same. Uh, there are some dark rums that I would drink instead of Gosling's in the dark and stormy. But if you're going to call it a legit dark and stormy, an original dark and stormy, you want to use Gosling's. Gosling's dark rum. Oh, I'm, I'm um, going to go again. I'm going to say uh, Angostura in a Sazerac, not the same as Peychaud's. Peychaud, of course. Got like, to use What the fuck are we doing? It's not a Sazerac with Angostura bitters. Look at yeah. that. See? It's getting, getting you riled up. I like it. Totally. I like it. Absinthe, or absinthe, like an absinthe frap. It's not an absinthe frap if it's not real absinthe. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. You could use Herb Saint. You can use... No, it's you know, it's way the, too uh, sweet. Wormwoodless but... absinthe, but it's not the same. All right. Let's move on to the next one before you guys think of every drink that's ruined. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. Uh. 
So in our in our second story, I feel like this was like written for us, Chris. Just it was like, like, oh, my God, they're talking about rum and they're talking about collecting and investors and pricing these things at ridiculous numbers. It was made for this podcast is, is what it was. And basically, the article breaks down. This is from the Financial Post, just about all the different bottlings that are coming out of Jamaica right now from different from different bottlers that are just demanding higher and higher price points. The one that they also had is one that just came out, which is the the Appleton 17 year, which is supposed to mimic the original rum that was used in the Mai Tai that is selling for, I think the whole, whole $500. $515. I was listening to a very good rum podcast recently, and I love what these guys do. But at one point they had mentioned the price point and then it was like out of their range. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you can't have a rum podcast and be like, that's out of our price point. It's like, no, right. you got to save up. You got to skip a couple bottles and then you got to buy that bottle. When you see this, when you see the the growing popularity, so like Christian, you're, you were in a position where you were introducing so many people because not only does Trader Sam's do good good cocktails but like you guys this rum collection is dope like you yeah, guys have, stupid. it doesn't make any sense that there could be so much corporate overlord with disney and you guys had that back bar it always it, blew my mind it took a lot of work to get that man i didn't it wasn't always like that it took uh bravo to kelly merrill by the way if he ever hears this his brother kelly as i like to call him kelly he worked really really hard and continues to this very day works very very hard to push uh, for new product. It's not always easy. You got to jump through a lot of hoops. You got to bug a lot of people. You got to write a lot of emails. And over time, eventually it'll happen if you push hard enough. And the cool thing is that Trader Sam's has its that reputation. So the corporate overlords, you know, they themselves on their off time like to have a drink of Trader Sam's too. So they, they get it. They understand. Once in a great while, they'll throw us three or four new bottles, maybe twice a year or something. And as long as it continuously sells, we can justify getting more of it. And so it wasn't always like that. But yeah, it's it's definitely grown exponentially over the last uh, 12, 13 years. Yeah. So with that, you know, you are introducing all these new spirits and, and stuff like that to people. Now, I think it's because Jamaica has such a unique flavor profile and there's also yeah. there are a lot of stocks of it um and maybe that's why all these different independent bottlers can do these really cool cast releases and you know demand all these high price points but did you feel like that was the case at trader sam's was like people wanted funky jamaican rums or was that not oh, really yeah. the clientele oh yeah oh yeah no and the more people learn about rums the the funkier they want them <laughs> the more you learn about Things like rum and whiskey, you know, once you get past the foundational stuff, the 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 basics, so to speak, you start venturing out into you know the specifics. You start wanting to know more about agriculture. You want to start wanting to learn more about age drum or, or age drum versus in Martinique versus age drum in Guyana versus age drum in Jamaica, and that's using a specific barrel. And then you want to see the difference between a Jamaican pot still versus a pot still made in in the Dominican Republic. It just varies because just like wine, uh, the terroir makes a huge difference. The 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 ground, the, where where the, the the cane's coming from, how it's fermented, where it's fermented, uh, where it's barreled, how it's barreled, what type of wood. It, uh, there's so many variations. It's not like whiskey or uh, cognac that is heavily regulated. And there's all these different rules and there's all these different categories. Rum is more like wine. Uh, there's so many styles of it. And from the from each style, you have derivatives and people become more and more and more creative. So you start to see people wanting things that are a little bit more 
on the the crazier side. Like when you're used to drinking like you know sweet rums and and, and dark rums and molassesy rums, it, you start getting into the more funky stuff like grass, certain things that give off the the esters of like coconut and banana and passion fruit. And then like agricoles that taste almost like scotch because they've been barreled a certain way in a certain place. It's fascinating stuff. Absolutely fascinating. But yeah, the more you learn, the more I would see people asking for things like a Jamaican pot still old fashioned or a Jamaican pot still or a Jamaican um, uh, jungle bird, which at Trader Sam's we call a funky bird because uh, that funky taste. So yeah, Jamaican rums are big right now. Real big. Chris, when you hear something like that, just, you know, Christian talking about how people are asking for it more because to me, my initial thought was like, oh, I feel like they're skipping steps. Like are people consuming a lot more? Or do you think that these people who are buying this are just looking at age statements and then being reading articles that they're being told this is this is rare? Because, you know, there was a Rob report a year ago that was talking about the Appleton 17 coming out and you knew that drove up the prices. Right. So. No. So, Chris, what do you think it is like in that a combination of everything? Well, and hit before thoughts? that, you have Appleton Joy that came out, you know, just a little bit before that. And that, you know, flew off the shelves and now nobody can find it and everybody's looking for it. So it's the same sort of thing. But I'll tell you, I have more people asking me for like Smith and Cross and Ray and Nephew now than ever before. It's really incredible and just gets me really giddy. It always makes me do a double take when people are like, oh, hey, I, I don't see it up there, but you got Smith and Cross. It's just like someone I don't expect. It's not somebody who's coming in wearing an Aloha shirt or anything like that. Like, you know, it's just some kid with a, you know, giant's hat on. It's like, right. Yeah, that shit's hot and it's delicious and give it to me. I'm like, I always do a double take. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I jump and I run for it because it awesome. just gets, it gets me so excited. I'm like, yo, people are finally drinking. Okay, I'll take that back. People have always been drinking dope shit. But I feel like. Drew knows this, the amount of work that I've put into our market and rum specifically, I feel like it's finally starting to pay off. Even though it's not me directly, it's like the 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 seeds I planted a decade ago are finally like fucking coming to fruition. And it's really Big time. exciting. I totally agree with you. My concern with something like this is, you know, are we going to get to a point where people just have these bottles, but they never open them? Like, you know, like you oh, see that so often with, yeah, it's, with it's like inevitable. With, it's like, hey, I, I'll give you $500 for that bottle right now, and we can crack it open and drink it right, right now. You know, I think, but I, I think, though, the difference with rum is that that culture is heavily ingrained versus the consuming culture of rum, which is the consuming culture of rum also just happens to be people with a lot of money. You know, they're like the tiki community is retired, wealthy you know, yep. or wealthier people. Accurate. So 100% accurate. They can afford the $500 and they're happy to share it. And they love white rums with white Pepsi. I'm telling you. <laughs> so they will just all the white, you know, dude, he's that that's, that's dead on the money, bro. Like it, it, between the rums, the clothes, the, uh, the architecture, the art, the consummation and uh, of, of alcohol and going to tiki bars and events, you have to have a significant income in order to be able to be a part of the hardcore tiki community because it, I don't see how you can't. Like, and everybody that I know that's in those circles are all people that either make a lot of money or are retired who made a lot of money. Like, it's just not, I don't know anybody who's broke who's in tiki. <laughs> it's just the way it is. The you bartenders. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Sometimes. If they're not working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chris, we've talked about a lot, but Christian, like having your take on this, because 
unfortunately, what gets talked about in Tiki is like appropriation and right. things of that nature. And then like at times people describing it as taking Polynesian culture and disnifying it. Oh my right? God. I know. I well, I mean that is these are these are things that are happening. There are there are things that are happening. You know, and it's a different time now than it was back then. And even what was different sixty years ago is even it's different from five years ago. I mean, what is your response? Because like you are in Disney, like you are right. in this adventure, you are in this escapism, or you were yeah, but it's not is it not about that or people misinterpreting it? it? Right. Hey, people whoever who I'm not saying whoever, like that <laughs> misconception is is exactly that. It's a misconception. It they're missing the point. They're completely missing the point. Because first of all, Tiki came out way before Disney ever did. Tiki was around before Disney was. Uh, Tiki has been its own separate culture before Disney ever had its own culture. By the time Disneyland opened in 1955, Tiki was on its way out. Tiki was already dying. And Tiki was good and dead by the 60s and 70s because people were doing other things instead of drinking. The idea that that a culture is being taken and being mis- being Disneyfied, so to speak, is absolutely ridiculous. If you actually know what Tiki's about, why it was started, and ha- and how it came to be, then there's no way you would ever get that uh, that idea. It was started by a guy who traveled to different countries, and he took what he learned from those cultures, and he came back, and he placed those things in his bar to represent the places that he'd been. And the, the cocktails that he made were made with the ingredients and things that he learned in those countries. Why is it okay for me to go to Mexico, learn all their things and start a Mexican restaurant? And yet it's not okay for somebody to go to, say, Thailand or, say, the Philippines or, and learn their things and represent it here. In this case, he, he went to not just the Philippines, but he went to many, 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 many different places. And he took all those things that he learned and he brought it here and created a oasis, so to speak, that had influences from the Philippines, from the Dominican Republic, from Cuba, from uh, Guyana, from all these different places that he created the first tiki bar. And it was originally meant to help people with who were coming back from the war. It was meant to be a place for them to relax, almost like the first form of PTSD treatment. Basically, that's what he did. He made an escape. And a lot of it was to represent and to teach people about these cultures. It wasn't meant to make fun of them. It wasn't meant to make them look like, I don't know, whatever it is, you know, Neanderthals or whatever the case may be. That blend of cultures is what created the tiki culture, which is its own culture now. So like to me, it's almost like saying that like you combine French culture and Native American culture and uh, slave culture and you call it Creole and you make a restaurant out of it, you're misappropriating all those different cultures. It's bullshit, man. Like that, this, that's not what it was started for. That was never the intention. It was a way to unify uh, different cultures and to teach people a little bit more about things that existed outside of this country. Uh, we didn't have the internet back then. We didn't have, the world wasn't as small as it is now. To be able to tell a story, to be able to uh, give somebody a taste of what a Caribbean island is like was literally that was an experience. But now we want to see skulls on the wall and we want to see a spear and go, oh, that's racist. That's that's missing. You know, it's like, do you even know what that's from? Do you know what that's about? Trader Sam's is not the only tiki bar in the world. There's many, 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 many. And a lot of them are doing things the right way. It's they're there to teach, to tell a story. Um, I think it's just being someone was just wants to find something, take something that's pure and happy and twist it into something ugly. And I just find that to be horrible. It's like, don't we have enough of that? Why are we going after happy people? It's absolutely crazy. It's like, find out who Don the Beachcomber is. Find out what he did. 
you know, find out why he did it and then tell me that it's, it's misappropriation. It's wrong. I don't know. I think it's just a lot more easy to be emotionally irrational. I think people are going to stick with that. What we're going to do is move on to my favorite segment. And that is, you know, who's dope them over there. <laughs> so it is our dope follows. Probably not going to hear any dope follows of Christian Plunk, you know, of people who question the, the origins of Tiki, but I'm sure he has some other really great ones. They could be Instagram accounts, podcasts, books, if different types of influence. Christian, you've talked about so many different influences today. I think, I think people <laughs> got all kinds of dope follows. They got to catch up on, but what did you identify for your dope follows uh, tonight? Dope follows. Definitely got to say, uh, keep an eye on follow Strongwater of Anaheim. They're a very forward, contemporary thinking tiki bar. They're doing things on another level that are, is really, really awesome. For my fellow bartenders out there, uh, I want to put out um, a Dad for Dads OC on TikTok. Um, it's a new uh, supportive. It's a network. It's for right now. It's TikToks and it's it's advice, but it's also a Discord for fathers professionals, men to be able to gather and just talk about mental health. You know, we work in a profession that can be very detrimental to our mental health and we, we just don't talk about that stuff enough. So I think it's time for us to uh, kick that, that uh, stigma to the curb and uh, help each other out. So there's dad for dads, OC uh, at TikTok, on Facebook and on discord. And yeah, man, adventures with alchemy. Always, always follow the uh, OC bartenders guild of America, please. Uh, we are always looking for support. Chris, who's your dope follows this week? Uh, I've got two characters that I am enjoying watching uh, quite a bit on on the social medias. Uh, the first one is a trans woman here in Sacramento who goes by the name of Miss Betty Cocker. For those of you who it. don't know, in Sacramento, we have the, uh, sorry, Miss Betty Crocker. That's what it is, Miss Betty Crocker. Oh, I was about to say, I, like I was like, I was, I was like, I was like, why is he going to tie this back to the museum when it's, no, no, you know, but, you know. No, no, it is Cocker. It is. There you go. It is. I was wrong. Nice. Hey, what an emotional long, long roller coaster choice. that was. There we go. Jeez. But uh, she is here here in Sacramento. She does amazing shows like at uh, uh, with uh, my very good friend, Deborah, which uh, also happy birthday, Debbie, if you're if you happen to be listening to this. Definitely listening. She's definitely, definitely. listening to this over at Solomon's and, and does great shows all over the place and she dresses up like betty crocker and just looks fantastic and fun the other one is uh don hewley who is a uh voice actor and he does the daily word with don hewley that's a uh, d-o-n-h-u-e-l-y uh he has one of those very uh deep and majestic voices for radio so i'm gonna do two and one is like you know my my television habits are very consistent it's like star trek star trek comedy star trek star trek comedy so i'm on my comedy right now and i'm re-watching brooklyn 99 and if you haven't watched that show or it's been a while since you've watched it i've now gone through it a few times to be honest i'm already a huge fan but every time i'm always blown away by how how quickly it finds its comedy stride and then it's just ridiculous for like the next eight seasons or whatever. And then the other one, and, and I feel like Chris, you might've sent this to me first or whatever, but it's an Instagram account and it's going to be standup.trex. And it's a T-Rex that tells jokes. And I send them to Chris all the time and they always are just horrible, horrible dad jokes that <laughs> results in um, the T-Rex crying because nobody's laughing. So uh, everyone is like that, but those are my those are my dope follows, and I gotta tell you, overall, those are some pretty dope follows. 
music for the Good Bottle Podcast is orchestrated by Leon and Chase Moore and produced pretty darn well by these two guys. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we ask that you subscribe and please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends because they need fun things to talk about with you too. And we will eventually figure out how to read reviews and we will start reading them when that happens. But, At some point uh, in time. That has not happened today. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Good Bottle Podcast on our personal accounts. Mine is D Garrison 6. Chris is Chris Sinflair. Um, Skipper, where can they find I you on all the Drew social Rose. medias? Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> that was great timing. Uh, personal accounts. Drew is D Garrison 6. And uh, I'm at uh, Chris Sinflair. Christian, where can people find you specifically uh, if they want to get a hold of you? Uh, Skipper Christian on Instagram. Real easy. Easy. All one word. No H in the name. Skipper Christian. As always, we'd like to thank you for tuning into this buffoonery. If there's anyone you think that we should talk to, reach out to us and we'll make sure Drew gets his liquid courage up. Till then. Cheers, everybody. I hope I unfreeze. You're unfrozen. Oh, my God. I'm back. Uh, Yeah. Cheers, everybody. Thanks, guys. God damn it.